I think I cried nine times that day. Like even for me as a highly sensitive person and empath, that's like a lot. And I just, I couldn't see a way out. Like everything was caving in on me. Nothing was within my control. And I just think like if I only knew then what I know now about how to relate to my emotions, how to regulate them, how to be kind to myself, that it was okay to ask for help, when to ask for help. And I realize now, looking back at the most psychologically traumatic experience of my life thus far, I can see now that I had to go through that to become the person that I am today. Like, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy in a million years. And this version of me does not exist if that didn't happen to me. You're listening to The Purpose Filter, the show that helps living people apply dying lessons before it's too late. My name is Dr. Louis Kathy Zhang. I'm a palliative care and hospice doctor, mindset and life coach, and I'm here to remind you that you've one extraordinary opportunity to live your best life on earth, and together we're gonna help you do it your way. The question I want you to keep in mind for this week is, what is your mental health worth to you. Look, burnout is rampant. People are exhausted from work, COVID, childcare, and just living. And maybe you haven't been feeling 100%, but everyone around you seems like they have it all together. And you feel like something's wrong with you because you haven't felt like yourself in a while. So I want to share with you that you're not alone. That two years ago, I was facing the most painful and challenging time of my life. And I know I wouldn't have felt so alone or as broken if more people I knew openly shared what they were going through. Without the bullshit, just the real raw experience of being human from all of the highs to certainly all of the lows. And I just wanna put a trigger warning here. I do mention some suicidal thoughts and probably more deaths than usual, and yet, I hope you'll find some solace in these words. I'll also share the four biggest lessons, the most transformational ones I learned during that time from therapy and afterwards that can help you or someone you love get through a similar situation. So let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Purpose Filter. Let's jump straight into it, okay? Earlier this week was Mental Health Day. And I still see so much emotional anguish, distress, and anxiety in my healthcare colleagues, in people outside of healthcare, in different industries, my friends, family, and beyond that I wanted to share this story in hopes that it would make someone feel a little bit less alone, in hopes that it would normalize this experience that we're all going through. And not in a woe is me kind of way, but really, to show you that we all have problems. We all go through some really tough shit. And hopefully, if there's anyone listening who's going through the same thing, suffering in silence, maybe it'll help. And that's the best that I can hope at this point. I had brunch with one of my friends a few months ago. She's one of my best friends, and she didn't even know what I went through to this detail that I'm going to share here. And through the story, you'll also understand a bit more of how this podcast came to be. And last episode, episode 56, 
I talked about how we really get a glimpse into the inner psyche of a person based on the stories that they share and the stories that are told about them. And so you know that I love hospice and palliative care. I've talked about it before, the stories, helping people to relieve suffering, to improve the quality of their lives, talking with family, conversations that matter, right? Real, raw emotions, no fluff, no pretenses. And so I had worked for four years as a hospitalist, meaning a physician that takes care of people who are sick enough to be admitted to the hospital. And I loved it. I enjoyed the work, but the schedule was so rough. My first job at a residency, I worked 10 weeks of nights, and each week of nights was seven nights in a row, 13-hour nights. And then you had the, the rest, you know, the second week after to recover, but, you know, it would take you until Wednesday or Thursday to really recover from that. And I was commuting, and I was like, why am I working more hours than I was in residency? But at some point, the schedule, the demands, everything started to feel soul-sucking. And if you've ever felt what it's like to have your work or something or someone be soul-sucking, it is just totally demoralizing. I went to work with a fever a couple of times. I told you before about the viral illness and working through that and having to get fluids in the hospital. And so I made the scary decision to go back into fellowship. When I decided when I applied, I didn't sleep for an entire month from the time that I submitted the application to the time that I got my first interview notification. That was about a month, and I probably slept maybe two, three hours for an entire month just because I was tossing and turning, thinking like, is this the right decision? What have I done? Why am I leaving this cushy job to go back into training? And I don't know what's going to happen. And so fellowship was super challenging and rewarding, and I loved it. I felt like for the first time, my life was on track, that this was the culmination of my medical career, everything that I had been doing my entire life up until then, and things were finally clicking into place. And so seven months into my first job as a palliative care and hospice physician, the pandemic hit. It was always like the universe was saying, oh, you you like taking care of sick and dying patients? All right, hold my beer we've got a worldwide global pandemic for you. And so I remember this very clearly. We were supposed to go to San Diego. We had flights booked and everything to go to a national conference, our academy, our society's national conference. And they called a meeting in the big auditorium. They're like, no one can go on work-sponsored trips, et cetera, et cetera. And I remember we got really pissed. Or all of us, you know, physicians, healthcare practitioners, all of us were like, this is not a big deal, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, me and my colleagues were like, we're supposed to be in sunny California right now. Like, seriously? And obviously that was, you know, funny now looking back on it. And so I wanted to share some lessons from that time period, from what I learned during COVID, during therapy, during coaching, that I hope will help you a little bit if you are ever going through something similar. And so the first lesson, lesson number one is, it is okay to not be okay. Like it's okay to just not have it together at all, to just be a mess. Like when the surge started, we were in New York, that was the first one in the country, I told myself, like, this is what I signed up for, right? I I signed up for lots of death, lots of dying. This is what I literally applied to fellowship for. And there were just, I remember 
there was, um, I recently saw a interview. It's called The The Real. It's a daytime talk show. And one of the hosts is Tamara Maori from Sister Sister. And I think she had just, the clip was she had just come back from some time off. I think her niece had died. And one of the co-hosts was like, we're so happy that you're back. And she goes, how are you? And she says, I'm okay. And then she paused and she just burst into tears. And I just think of how many of us were not okay back then, but we told ourselves and told other people like, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. You know, just trying to make it through another day or we're okay. And we were not okay. I was not okay. We didn't have any visitation. Families couldn't come. We had to do all of this talking to them, counseling them, having this, you know, decision-making conversations about life or death, taking them off the ventilator, all this stuff over the phone. And I did a couple of these myself where, and our social workers had to do it the most, where we would set up video calls for the patients and their families, especially in the ICU. And we had cell phones, some of us had iPads, and you kind of had to hold it at the door, you know, with a camera facing the patient because you wanted to save PPE for the people who actually had to go into the room. And so you would stand there holding the iPad, the iPhone, whatever it was, while these families were just sobbing and like begging for the patient to get better. And they're like, your kids are here. They miss you. You know, like you have to get better. You have to come home, like keep fighting. And I think in Spanish, it's like uh, maybe it's luchar or luchando or something like that. And then sometimes, you know, we're it's outside the room. We had to stick our hands into the room so that we, the patient could hear. Or we would ask the nurse to bring the phone inside and just have it at the patient's ear so that they could hear. And it was story after story, patient after patient. Like, they were fine. I don't know what happened. They were fine. And now, what do you mean they're in the intensive care unit? What do you mean they can't breathe? What do you mean what is this like virus? What, what do you mean he's dying? What do you mean you can't do anything? You know, our list jumped from the 20s to I think 89 at its peak and it was quadrupled in, I don't know, a couple weeks maybe. I honestly don't even remember anymore. Uh, you know, I had one patient who was an MTA subway conductor and the person I was talking to was his niece. She was just begging us like, please do anything and everything that you can. Like, there was this one guy who was an Uber driver. He was in his 40s. His wife had a young kid, maybe three, four, five. And I was talking to her. And when he died, I had to call her, one, to let her know, and two, to kind of also ask her usual things, like, do you want an autopsy, et cetera, et cetera. And I forgot to ask her the second question. So I had to ask her a second time after I told her that he had died. And she was like, are you done? And I was like, yes, I think I'm done. She's like, I never want to get a phone call from this number. She recited the number of our hospital back to me. She's like, I never, ever want to get a phone call from this number ever again. And I was like, yeah, fair enough, ma'am. My very, very first COVID patient, he was an older guy. And uh, I was talking with his wife. They've been together for forever. And she said that he 
had a PhD in thermonuclear dynamic physics, I believe. And I was like, oh, cool. So what does he do? Is he a professor? She's like, no, he couldn't find a job, so he works in finance, <laughs> which I thought was really interesting. She ended up sending me his obituary after he passed, and it was just really touching. Like, they'd met because he put out a personal in a personal ad in like a magazine or a newspaper saying that he was uh, seeking a partner to, I forget exactly what it was, I'll find it and I will recite it for you, hopefully with her permission. But it was just so beautiful. There was another dad, he had two young girls, he was Asian, and I was talking with the wife and she kept telling the girls that daddy was hibernating, kind of like a bear. And I was like, you know, he's really sick. You should probably tell them, like, sh they should come in. She's like, no, I don't want to worry them, all this stuff. And, you know, he didn't make it either. And so many people didn't make it. And it got to the point where my colleague and I would joke about crying in the shower. Like, if you were standing and crying in the shower, like, that's normal. You're just being efficient. You know, you're, it's going to wipe away the tears anyway. We have a very morbid sense of humor in palliative care and hospice, if you couldn't tell already. But I swear, we're lovely people. The next step was sitting. It's like, oh, you couldn't, you didn't even have the strength to stand for your shower cry. You were sitting. Like, that's a bad day. And then I found another level I didn't even realize was kneeling. And I told her that one day, I was like, you know, I, I knelt down in the shower last night to cry. And she's like, oh, shit, you okay? I just think how, I don't know, how ridiculous and needed that was. And I can't even really describe it. And I apologize for being kind of at a loss for words. But that's what we were feeling like. There were days where I just did not want to wake up. Like, I wanted sedatives. I was really happy that I didn't have any in my house. I thought about prescribing them for myself, but the thought of losing my license actually held me back. I avoided sharp objects in my kitchen. And not because, and partially because I didn't trust myself, but also I just wanted to feel something other than pain, other than numbness other than being wrecked. There was a day where I cried nine times that day, nine. Like even for me as a highly sensitive person, uh, that's a lot. I'm an empath, like I cry all the time. You know, life insurance commercials, all that stuff, dog videos. My max is usually one or two a day. And I just could not see a way out. It felt like everything was caving in on me, that nothing was in my control. And I look back at the videos that I took during that time, like so many other people, you would not have known. You would not have known based on what I was posting on my personal Instagram, because I hadn't started any of this until last year. You would not have known because we went hiking, we were baking, we were making soap, we were going to Black Lives Matter marches. Airbnb trips to different states. I was learning how to do smoky eye tutorials on YouTube because I was like, oh, eventually I'm going to have to do my own makeup for my wedding. And I think it was the threat of having to do another surge around the fall that I was like, I, I cannot do this anymore. And I was like, I have to, I have to get help. And that is lesson number two, which is please, please ask for help. 
I started therapy in October after my boards. I barely passed. I don't even know how I managed that. The intake was done by one physician of the group. I didn't want to work with someone in the hospital. I paid out of pocket because I was ashamed. And please do not be ashamed of seeking help, getting therapy. It is the best thing that has ever, ever happened to me. And this intake person then gets your story and then matches you up with a person. And I could not make it through that intake. I think it was a 30-minute intake without crying. I think I cried four or five times in those 30 minutes because I could not recount my story and what I was feeling to her without breaking, totally breaking down. And I paid out of pocket. I paid out of pocket. And I remember very distinctly when she told me what their hourly rate was, I was like, can you do it for lower? I bargained them down by $100. And probably all told, maybe I saved two grand, 25, I don't know, over the course of therapy. I had the money at that time. I was saving up for a house. I had a lot of money in the bank saving up for a down payment. I could have easily afforded therapy three times, five times over. That wasn't the issue. The issue was, was that I did not believe that my mental health was worth an extra $100 an hour. And that is, that really saddens me thinking back now because I would not be here. Like I, this would not happen. None of this would happen. I would not be here. And so I hope that you, through this story, can recognize that if you're going to spend money on anything, your mental health, your emotional well-being has to be top of priority. Absolute number one. Because without it, nothing else happens. Without it, nothing else matters. And so during therapy, my therapist was a trauma-informed therapist. She's wonderful. She taught me a lot of things. And the third lesson that I want to share with you is to allow yourself to feel. I had so many emotions and so many other people did during that time as well. One was anger. I was so angry. Even at my friends, I didn't even tell them, but I had friends who I'm like, you don't understand what it's like. And of course they couldn't, but I was just so wrapped up in that. I was angry at people who were like, this is a hoax. And I was like, well, if this is a hoax, it's a sick fucking joke because it's pretty awful. I was waiting for like a camera crew to come out and be like, oh, okay, you know, this is a joke. So stressed. I felt so isolated. And I kept telling myself, my friends who aren't in healthcare, my best friends, they don't understand. I'm alone. I'm alone. And those thoughts just kept circulating in my head. My husband reached out to them and was like, hey, maybe can you like reach out or do something for her? They sent a bunch of food from Zabar's because, you know, I wasn't making lunch. I could barely get myself out of bed. And um, my husband filmed the moment where, you know, he brought me the food, they coordinated so he could send it to them because they don't live near nearby. And um, you could tell, I, I go from one moment where he's, I'm like, oh my God, thank you so much. It's so amazing. And then I burst into tears. Like I start sobbing immediately. And that's how fragile emotionally I was. And my therapist really worked on awareness and emotions with me because my coping mechanism was denial and intellectualization. Emotions would bubble up and I would squash it down. I'd be like, nope, not now, not me. I'm better than this. Not today. I'm a doctor. I'm a professional. This is what I signed up for. No, no. And it was just, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Even though clearly I was not fine. 
I took Christmas Eve off and I was watching Kelly Clarkson video. She was singing Shallow, I think, with Garth Brooks. And I just, I lost it. And I took a video of myself because I was like, I maybe I should learn and see how I'm processing my emotions in real time because I was doing the work with my therapist. And I was talking about how lucky I felt to take Christmas Eve off from work, to be at home, to be warm, to have a Christmas tree, to have gifts under it, and how so many people that I had encountered earlier that year were not able to do that. And if there's anything that I can tell you is, again, it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to have feelings. It's okay to just be a total mess and cry all the time and not feel like you're going to be able to make it through. But you will. That it's not going to be easy and you may not be able to do it alone. You're probably not going to be able to do it alone. And you're going to have to tell people and ask for help. And I, I just think if I only knew then what I know now about how to relate to my emotions, how to regulate them, how to be kind to myself, that it was okay to ask for help and when to ask for help. A lot of elements, which I mentioned just in general on this podcast, I feel like I would have had a totally different experience. I don't know if I would have been as traumatized. I don't know if I would have had the experience that I did. And the fourth lesson that I want to share with you is that it is possible for you to turn your worst pain into your greatest source of power. I always like to say that therapy got me back to normal, got me back to feeling like a little bit more like myself, where I wasn't so emotionally lay by. I wasn't crying all the time. And coaching got me to see what was possible. I think I overlapped them maybe by about one or two months. And, you know, I'm still getting coached now. So that is an ongoing thing that I will continue for the rest of my life. But now, looking back at the most psychologically traumatic experience of my life thus far, I can see now that I had to go through that to become the person that I am today. Like I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy in a million years. And I a hundred, a thousand percent recognize that this version of me does not exist if that didn't happen to me. This podcast doesn't exist if that didn't happen to me. My business being on Instagram, trying to write and trying to do all these things, none of that would have happened if I had not been so traumatized by COVID, if I had not been on the brink of like, maybe I don't wake up tomorrow, you know? So life is hard, man. Life is so hard. There is so much shit that happens to us. And, you know, it's not all good. That's just the simple fact of it. Am I sharing this story with you in the most intimate details that I probably haven't told beyond maybe the three people that are closest to me? I hope that it gives you an example of what's possible when you ask for help, when you tell people how you're feeling, when you allow yourself to feel all the bad emotions and work with someone a therapist, a coach to help you through it. Because we're not meant to live this life alone. We're not meant to go through this alone. You do not need to feel like 
no one understands you because not nearly enough of us talk about it. It's happening more and more and more. And I love that. You know, like Constance Wu just put out a book about how she literally had pulled herself over the balcony of her apartment. She was ready to jump. And how important it is for us to be like, yeah, I was in the shit two years ago and I got help. And it's possible to be even better. Like I am so good now. Like I feel so good about my life and where it's going and what I'm trying to do. And it would not have been possible without all of that. So I hope that you get to see that it is possible that from me to you, if I was able to do that, you're able to do that. And I know it always sounds really trite, like if I could do it, you could do it. No, but seriously, it is possible. And so if you've gotten to this far, I just, I thank you. I am eternally grateful for you. And if this helped you, if it helps someone else, if anyone can just derive a little bit of something from this episode, then it will have served its purpose. And so that's how the podcast and the business was born. I am here simply to pay it forward, to help you see what's possible in your own life, to feel even more joy and fulfillment and passion and gratitude, all the things. So I'm here to help. Book a call, go to my website, and let's talk. Take care of yourselves and take care of each other. I'll see you next week.